Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, today is uh, Thursday, 25th of March, 2021. This is Otakada Cyber Church Ministries. My name is Ambassador Monday Ogwajo Ogwe. Today's uh, our Otakada content count is 2,220,240. And also, today is the ninth day of our 40 day fast of praying for the church and leadership. And Colossians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 for today. We pray for the church and leadership that you may be strengthened and invigorated with power according to his glorious might to attain every kind of endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, God's people, which you all are in, in, in the light in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And today's title for part 9 of Enough it is Enough to Captivity of Satan and Welcome to Freedom in Christ Jesus. The title is Receive Answers to Common Questions and Answers on Healing, Deliverance and Restoration. Restoration plus Practical Guidelines to Ministry in Healing, Deliverance and Restoration plus synthesis of schizophrenia as revealed by the Holy Spirit to Ida May uh, Hammond and how to deal with the spirit. So part nine. Okay. But before we uh, go on, let us pray and commit this uh, session into the hands of the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege to um, call upon your name. Thank you for the uh, gift of access into your presence thank you for you have made us your dwelling place that we are your temple that we carry your presence everywhere we go we thank you because you have made us kings and priests in your kingdom we thank you for the authority that you've given unto us in Christ Jesus we thank you for the battle that has already been won and you have given us the mandate to enforce that completed work. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you for this awesome, awesome privilege to be co-partner with you in uh, expanding your work here on earth. So we give you praise and honor. And so in continuance of that, as we go into this session, we ask Holy Spirit that you take charge of this session. We ask that as we as we go through this, we ask that ministry ministration will go out to every sick person. We declare that you are healed in the name of Jesus Christ. He sent his word, and his word brought healing and deliverance. So as this word goes out, we declare that healing, deliverance, restoration will take place. We declare that testimonies will abide to your glory and to your honor and to your adoration in the name of Jesus Christ. We decree and declare that um, testimony shall abound, O God. We declare that you will give us clarity, that as the word comes out, Spirit of the living God, I ask that you use my voice to communicate with, with them. I hide behind, I hide myself behind the cross. I ask that they will hear you, not me. They will hear you speaking and as they hear, Lord, multiply it or water it, touch their heart, Cause them to run with it. They will hear. I will speak once, but they will hear twice, three times, a thousand times or more, 
in their spirit man, in their soul and in their body. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for answer prayer. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this series again is enough, is enough to captivity of Satan and welcome to freedom in Christ Jesus. And receive answers to common questions on healing, deliverance, and restoration. Plus practical guidelines to ministry in healing, deliverance, and restoration. And synthesis or analysis of schizophrenia as revealed by the Holy Spirit to Ida May Hammond and how to deal with the Spirit in part 1. So we, uh, this is part 9 of the series, okay? And, uh, <coughs> sorry there. We says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the word is going out now. Faith will rise up within you to confront every, to level every mountain and to make every valley raised up and to make every crooked path straight in the name of Jesus Christ. So God told prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 to 7 and I, and I read. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you, the priestly nation, have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you that you shall be no priest to me. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And verse 7 says, The more they increase and multiply in prosperity and power, the more they sinned against me, I will change their glory into shame. That is God speaking. That is a strong word. So let's think about the words above for a moment. God says, as we reject knowledge, knowledge of Him as revealed in Scripture, He will also reject us for ministering, from ministering as priests unto Him. He says, the world became flesh and dwelt among men, isn't it? He says, uh, uh, since we have forgotten the law of God, He says, He will also forget our children. In a nutshell, He will forget us and our children. That is how mean that word is. And what God says he will do. God also tied a word to that first part of the verse 6. He said we are sinning against him by measure of our prosperity. Can you be that? The more we prospered, the more we become self-reliant, and the more we forget about God. That's what it means. Is it strange that the only time we get serious seeking God for solutions is when we have run out of options? When we are sick, the first person that comes to mind is the doctor or the medicine when the balm of Gilead lives inside of us. When we are presented with God's word or anything that brings enlightenment, knowledge, to help us address our issues, we say it's too long. But we don't mind getting consumed in anything that entertains us or anything that gives us earthly benefit. We can take hours and hours looking into our financial affairs or worldly affairs, but when it comes to the things pertaining to the kingdom, we frantically look at our watches or doze off before we can finish three paragraphs. We can spend hours and hours waiting to see the doctor, but we don't have an hour for equipping that is required to bring us into wholeness in our work and work with the Lord. Who then are we fooling? God or ourselves? I wonder why our prayers don't elicit the attention of heaven. The day we begin to take God seriously, he will begin to take us seriously. 
the Lord is still saying to you and me in Jeremiah 29:13 and I read Amplified Bible Classic Edition. Say then you will seek me, inquire for, and require me as a vital necessity, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That is the reason this series is not for everyone. This series is for those who have hunger for all of God. We must pre-qualify ourselves to the following. A. Availability, spirit, soul, and body. B. Boldness to exercise authority and power. C. Compassion to sit where people are hurting. D. Determination to push through until victory. E. Earnest love that is not based on the superficial. F. Fairy anger with Satan. And G. Great hunger for the fullness of God in us and around us so we can touch the world for Him. I'd like us to meditate on this word of Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 7 to 8. And I read the Amplified Bible, Classic Edition. And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help in their behalf? I tell you, verse 8, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth. May the Lord find you and me in faith when he comes. The type of faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, taking corresponding action that reflects the faith that we've been built up. That's Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Amen? Amen. In part 8 we explored where on earth where on earth is God's will and sovereignty in all of this in all of this talk on freedom why is it that not everyone we pray for is healed, delivered or restored why are some gradual or partial what are the hindrances to healing, deliverance or restoration and some do's and don'ts lost one story to substantiate this title and break the grip of the spirit of fear part 8 Okay, check the details on our website now you are permitted to share wide this equipping series to those who might need this now answers to common questions and sickness and healing example like Paul's son Job's troubles delivering one to Satan Corinthian church many weak many sick and many die prematurely Timothy's stomach Hezekiah's illness Trophimus left, left sick Epaphroditus for the work of Christ, he came close to death. His sickness, the chastening of the Lord. Is it all right to combine faith and medicine? Is taking care of your health a sign of unbelief? So we address this in this section, um, those questions that we put across to you. So there are several passages in the Bible that are often misunderstood and used as a basis for tolerating sickness and other demonic works. In today's message, we take a look at some of these and provide insight on understanding this. We must keep in mind that all scripture must be interpreted in the light of the rest of the scripture and in the light of the person of Jesus Christ. Everything we know about God must align itself to what is seen on earth through God who became flesh, Jesus Christ. Anything that we claim to understand about God that is not aligned to what Jesus said and did can be questioned and discarded. Jesus Christ is perfect theology, the world 
who became flesh. Now let's look at Paul's song, for instance. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, we read that account. This unless I shall be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul indeed received abundance of revelations. In addition to his many personal experiences, visitations, and being taken up to the third heavens, Paul understood and wrote much of the New Testament revelation. Lest Paul would get puffed with pride, God permitted a thorn in the flesh. Now many speculate what this thorn in the flesh was. Some say it was sickness, an eye problem, hand problem. However, the apostle says it was a messenger, in Greek angelos or angel of Satan. Paul states clearly that the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. The word messenger in the Greek is the word is the same word used for angel and for example is used in the angel of the church in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. When the Lord addressed his church, the messenger of Satan hence was a spiritual being that constantly opposed Paul in his ministry to buffet, meaning to strike repeatedly him. In the previous uh, earlier, Paul described um, the previous, uh, previous chapter of, of uh, the Corinthians scripture that we we're, were reading, Paul described the many hardships, trouble, weaknesses in endured. Here's what he stated. And the ministers of Christ, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors from abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often, from the Jews five times I received forty tribes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I had been in the deep. In journeys in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of own countrymen, in perils of the gentles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. That's Second Corinthians 11, 23-27. While some of these hardships he took upon himself, many of these came as opposition to the work he was doing. All of these served to keep his feet on the ground, help him walk in humility, knowing that he had to depend upon the Lord. Paul did pray three times for this demonic uh, demonic being to be gone. <clears throat> In this situation, God simply did not take the messenger of Satan out of the way. Instead, he called Paul to rely on his grace to continue pressing forward and overcome what this demonic being was doing. Paul therefore understood that even in his weakest moment, Paul's grace was more, God's grace was more than enough to keep him strong. As believers today, none of us have received such abundance of revelations. Say hi, if you have. We have not been used 
in this same manner as Paul to have the privilege of being given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet us to keep us humble. Further, for us to claim that our sickness, the thorn in the flesh, given us for a grand spiritual purpose, is rather unscriptural and self-exalting. We must fight sickness as a work of the devil that has no right in our bodies. Let's look at Job's struggles. In Job chapter 1 verse 12 we read, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In Job 2, 6 to 7, and we read, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. In Job 2, 10 we read, In all his Job, in all of these Job did not sin with his lips. In Job 3.25 we read, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. In Job 42.10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for the friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. James 5.11, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. It was Satan who struck Job and his family, causing all kinds of calamities and sicknesses, as Job 1.12 and 2.7. We cannot blame God for the things that Satan did. It is true that God did grant permission for Satan to touch Job, who otherwise was under the divine protection, since God had made a hedge around him, Job chapter 1 verse 10. But it was still the devil that caused all the calamities to happen, using elements of weather and nature as well. In our world today, the devil and his demons are permitted to do their evil di diabolic works. Generally, God does not stop the devil and demons from coming against a believer with temptations, hindrances, and other obstacles. All of us face these kinds of things. God permits these things to go on even against those who believe in him. God uses this as part of our training and maturing into Christ-likeness. He calls us to fight the good fight, resist the devil, wrestle against the powers of darkness, quench every fairy dart, and live a overcoming lives. As believers, we can appropriate divine protection. Psalm 34, 7, Psalm 91, Isaiah 54, 17, 1 John 5, 18 or through fear, doubt, or disobedience make ourselves vulnerable to the demonic attacks that should not otherwise overpower us. God has given us every weapon to overcome the enemy. You read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, you will get that. Something that Job did not necessarily understand. In the light of all that we have in the New Testament, unlike Job, there is really no need for us to be overcome by the enemy, even when his forces come against us. In the midst of all that happened, Job maintained his integrity of faith in the Lord. He stood firm in his devotion to God. This endurance of Job is what we are to emulate, knowing that the Lord is indeed compassionate and merciful and he will eventually turn things for our good. One other aspect about Job is that he seemed to be a man who greatly feared that, that such calamities may come upon him, and they did. Fear is faith in the wrong direction. It attracts the wrong things in our lives. As children of God, we can learn to live without such fear and rather rest in faith. Delivering one to Satan, that's another question. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1-5, and I read, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, 
and such sexual immorality as it is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, exclamation mark, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you, for in I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him present him who has to has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the instruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In First Timothy one twenty of whom I read of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Second Timothy two seventeen eighteen also read, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Eighteen, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Second Timothy four fourteen to fifteen. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted resisted our words. There are only two instances when the apostle Paul mentions about delivering someone to Satan. In the Corinthians church, it had to do with discipline of a man living in immorality, who initially did not seem to repent. Paul wanted this man to be put out of the local congregation for some time, 1 Corinthians 5.13, and delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. We recognize that Paul is exerting his apostolic authority and is administering discipline for unrepentant, sinful behavior. The man was being put away from the local church, in one sense, physically as well as spiritually. This meant that the protection he would normally have was withdrawn and he was now vulnerable to Satan because of his sin. Satan could then do anything to bring harm in the physical realm. But this was permitted in order for that man to come to repentance. We have a, a word subsequently. We have a record subsequently in 2 Corinthians where after a brief period of time, Paul's injunction to the church is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. That's Second Corinthians 2, 6-8. There's no record that this man actually went through some physical harm. In any case, it appears that there was much sorrow and genuine repentance, so that Paul himself writes, For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.10 The second case had to do with two rebellious men in the Ephesian church, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus was one who was blaspheming, speaking evil, perhaps of Paul and the truth about Christ. And preaching false doctrine that the resurrection was already over, causing some to fall away from the faith. Alexander seemed to be the one who opposed Paul, speaking things that caused much harm to Paul. In both cases, Paul exerts apostolic authority to release these men from the church and expose them to Satan. Knowing that we're now looking at the Corinthian church, many weak, many sick, and many die prematurely. And this is uh, one of the excuses people give for remaining sick 
and want to address that as quickly as possible. This is part 9 of Enough is Enough to Captivity of Satan and Welcome to Freedom in Christ Jesus. Come on, questions that are asked and answers to them. So let's take a look at that. So 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen to 19 says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in, in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. These do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in a worthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest he will come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. The Corinthian church, while being a very spiritual group of people, also had a lot of problems that had to be addressed. In the areas of moral standards, conduct in church gatherings, and living together as a united community. Part of this was their conduct in celebrating the Lord's table, instead of treating this with reference and doing this with spiritual meaning. This became a time for feasting, eating, and drinking in the church together. They turned this into a time of having a feast together, which Paul says they could do at home. What was intended by the Lord to be a time of great reference and spiritual proclamation of his death, resurrection, and soon returning became more like a lunch feast. Consequently, instead of enjoying the benefits, blessing, and power of the cross of Christ, on the contrary, these Corinthians, by dishonoring the secret table, were putting themselves in a place for God's judgment. As a result, many were becoming sick, weak, and dying prematurely instead of enjoying the benefit of the cross of healing, deliverance, and wholeness. The purpose 
with which the Lord's table was given was for us to proclaim the Lord's death in this sacred celebration and thus experience the full blessing of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan and desire. This is God's will. It is not His intent for His people to become weak, sick, and die prematurely. However, by black blood blatantly dishonoring what was sacred and making it a time for feasting with no focus on examining one's own mind and discerning the Lord's body, we fail to receive God's intended blessing and instead step out of God's protection and make ourselves vulnerable to weakness, sickness, and premature death. We understand God's dealing of judgments as both a a withdrawal of divine protection and be God permitting our engaging these elements, weaknesses, sicknesses and premature death to get people's attention in order to bring us back to the right path. This is not God's will. But what happens when we step out of God's design and walk in disobedience? If we judge ourselves and walk in obedience, we can avoid this. As believers today, we do not have to fear weakness, sickness and premature death because of wrongly participating in the Lord's table simply because we have been taught how to do it right. We know what we have to do each time we partake of the Lord's table. It is not that God is waiting for the smallest mistake to pour down judgment on us. Rather, each time we celebrate the Lord's table, we bring joy to his heart and fear in the enemy's camp. Well, let's look at Timothy's stomach. It's one of the questions that people ask as well. In 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. It is apparent from this verse that Timothy had some sort of recurring stomach problem and perhaps other frequent physical ailments. Whether this was something that started happening to him only after coming to Ephesus or whether these problems existed from a long time prior is not known. Also, it is not known whether Timothy had these problems only for a short period of time or whether these were ongoing problems. So any comments along these lines will be pure speculation. What we do know is that Timothy led the church at Ephesus and his ministry did not stop because of these ailments. The Apostle Paul recommended the use of wine for his medical value for Timothy's stomach problem. Hence, we can conclude that it is alright to use natural medical remedies while still giving our hearts devoted to God. Let's look at Hezekiah's illness. 2 Timothy 21.7 In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your, set your house in order, for you shall die, and not live. Then he turned his face towards the wall, and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I walk before you in truth with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Isaiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. I'll deliver you and this, this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boy, and he recovered. Isaiah 38, 21. Now Isaiah had said, 
Let him take your lumber figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and it shall recover. King Hezekiah was sick and close to death. After hearing the prophet's warning, Hezekiah turns to the Lord and prays. God hears the king's prayer, and as the prophet instructs people to make a paste out of lumber of pigs and place it on a boil. Some versions read also or Tom. Hezekiah is healed and lives for another 50 years. Obviously, God could have helped Hezekiah without the use of a paste made from figs. Whether the paste made from figs had any healing or medicinal properties for the boil, it is not certain. Whether it did have medical value or not, we can affirm that God is not against the use of natural elements through which for all, along with which his healing is administered to an individual. What of Trophimus left sick? Trophimus left sick. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus have left Emeletus sick. The Apostle Paul was a man who ministered in power of the Spirit and saw mighty healings, miracles, signs, and wonders done in many places where he ministered. However, he still writes stating that he left one of his team members through through Phemus, sick in Melitus in Acts 24 and 15 before heading out to Rome. Although Paul himself did not see perfect result, he does not discredit the work of the Spirit, healings, miracles, gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders. In fact, he writes emphatically on this in his episodes. We do not know what actually happened to Trophimus. We do not know if this was a temporary illness that he recovered quickly from. In any case, we admit that we do not always have all the answers, but we still keep pressing on on the work of the Lord, ministering in the, in the power of the Spirit, just as Paul did. Then, Epaphroditus, for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Philippians 2, 25-30 reads, Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and who such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Philippians four eighteen indeed I have all and abound. And full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Philippians 1 24 says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul was in prison in Rome. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to serve the apostle while he was in prison. In serving the apostle Paul, Epaphroditus seems to have stretched himself so far that he came close to death. 
no regarding his own life. We do not know the exact nature of his service rendered and how much he labored. But it's sufficient to know that in the process of serving the Lord, he became sick and almost died. His life was spared by the mercy of God and the Epaphroditus continued to live. Just because we are in Christian ministry serving the Lord and His people, we are not automatically granted good health and strength. We also need to do what is needful as part of our responsibility to take care of our health. It is possible that we can overwork and risk dying in the process. While it may seem noble to work till we drop dead for the cause of Christ, this is rather unnecessary and unprofitable. We are more useful to God, His kingdom, and His people here on earth alive than if we were dead. Of course, to depart and be with God is far better. However, for the sake of His church and His kingdom cause, it is better to take care of our health, live a long, healthy, and fruitful life. Next question. Questions that people ask and answers to them. Is sickness the chastening of the Lord? In 1 Corinthians 11:28-30, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in a worthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, but discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Hebrews 12, 5-11 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation we speak to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. So what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirit and life? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. For he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. After all, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Revelation 3.19, as, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Psalm 103, 10-13 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Because the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as he releases from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Which of us being parent, if our children do something wrong, we want to correct them and teach them what is right and proper by inflicting some disease on them, getting them into some accident? laying them on a sick bed or causing them to have cancer or any other dilapidating or terminal illness. I think it would be safe to say that none of us would do such a thing. Most of us will begin by speaking sternly to the child, sometimes proceed to give them a spanking or two and then perhaps remove some of their privileges. If the children are older, where spanking is no longer appropriate, we sit down and reason with them and try to explain in order to teach them what is right. If we, being evil, know how to treat our own children in such a manner, how much more does our Heavenly Father treat His own children in an even better manner? 
and that to lovingly correct, instruct, and teach and guide them into what is best for their lives. The issue of the Lord's chastening is often misunderstood and misrepresented. People fall sick and then claim that God made them sick in order to teach them a deep spiritual lesson. We agree that even earthly parents wouldn't do such a thing to their own children. When we accuse God of doing such a thing, we make him worse than us earthly parents. Take for example, a believer who falls sick and hence has to spend a few days or weeks in bed, lying in bed with nothing else to do, the believer begins to read good Christian books or listen to many sermons and hence through this gains spiritual understanding and feels strengthened spiritually and do cause the believers back to health. The most common explanation that we would hear is that God made this person sick in order to strengthen him or her spiritually and teach them this those particular spiritual lessons. My reasoning is First, we are accusing God of doing what we, as parents, will not do ourselves, making God worse than us. Secondly, that believer, when in good health, had read those same books and listened to those same sermons, he or she could have learned those spiritual lessons. The word chasten is a Greek word, padeo, which simply means to train up a child, that is, educate or by implication, discipline, by punishment, instruct, learn, teach. Uh, the word is also translated learned in Acts 7.22 as Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. The word is also translated taught as Paul refers to his own upbringing being taught by Gamaliel and indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia brought up in this city at the feet of Calvaria, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are, all are today. The word is also used to refer to the physical blows in Luke 23, 16-22, which Pilate, finding no fault in Jesus, offered to do and let him go, hoping that would peace the Jews. Chastening then has to do with teaching, learning, training, instruction, correction, and sometimes punishment. The basic objective of chastening is to help the person learn something. Instruction, not destruction, is the objective. Chastening in the normal course of things has to do with teaching, correction, and punishment done lovingly as to a child, and only in extreme situations has to do with judgment. Typically, chastening has to deal with training of a child and hence refers to something done out of love, not anger. Chastening in the normal course of things has to do with teaching, correction and punishment don't love it as to a child and only in extreme situation has to deal with judgment. Hebrews 12 describes the purpose of the Lord's chastening which is to train us in holiness and righteousness. So now, back to our initial question. Would an earthly parent use sickness and disease to train up their children to learn how to do what is right? No. Even so, our God who is infinitely a greater father the eternal loving Heavenly Father will not make his children sick in order to chasten them in the normal course of everyday life. In the normal course of everyday walking with him, God will use his word, his spirit, and the fellowship of our belie- other believers to walk his discipline into our lives. We have discu- discussed earlier in this chapter about the Corinthian church, where they were completely out of order and dishonored the Lord's table. By making it a feast instead of sacred participation, what happened in their case is that through disobedience they missed the intended blessing of healing, health, and wholeness, and instead made themselves vulnerable to weakness, sickness, 
and the death. God permitted these things as part of his divine disciplinary dealings in order to get them back to the right way of doing the Lord's table. However, this was not a normal disciplinary dealing of the Lord for them as believers, but a case of divine judgment. In the light of all that the scripture reveals about the nature of God and the work of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, to be incorrect for a believer who is working with the Lord to state that the Lord is chastening him or her with some sickness. Is it alright to combine faith and medicine? Having looked at the instance of King Hezekiah and Timothy, we believe that there is nothing wrong in combining faith and medicine. God has instructed us with the resources of knowledge, technology, and natural resources that we are to use for His purpose and for His glory. We know that it is God's purpose to heal and make people well. We know that God gets glory when people are healed. So therefore, we do not hesitate to use the resources God has given us to bring the healing. Even when we administer medicine or receive medical help, our eyes are on the Lord to bring healing and cure. Our faith is in His Word and His power for healing ultimately comes from Him. Now, next question. Again, we're talking about enough is enough to captivity of Satan and welcome to freedom in Christ Jesus. We're taking questions that usually come responding scripturally concerning healing, deliverance and restoration. The next question. Is taking care of your health a sign of unbelief? One of the lessons we can learn from Epaphroditus is that while we do our work in Christian ministry, serving the Lord and His people, we also need to remain responsible and take care of our health. Otherwise, there is a possibility of neglecting our own bodies and we risk dying prematurely without having completed the work assigned to us. While we look to the Lord for healing, wholeness, and health as part of our responsibility, it is necessary for us to take care of our health. We need to do what is available to us and within our means to keep good health. For example, some of us can make use of regular annual health checkups, watch our weight, diet, do exercise, and so on. When necessary, take preventive measures as recommended by doctors. This will not be a sign of unbelief, but rather an expression of good stewardship. Our faith for healing and health remains in the Lord. Now, some practical guidelines on ministering healing. Ways to minister healing. There are many ways in which we <coughs> can minister to a sick person. There is no fixed method or process that are required to use each time. What we attempt to do is to be familiar with the different ways to minister healing as described in Scripture. Learn how to minister in ways that are already seen in Scripture. Be ready at any time to minister in any way. Then be sensitive to the Lord and use whichever method you feel release in your heart to use. In ministering healing, remember that healing is not in the method but in the person. Jesus is a healer. Healing takes place not because we did everything right. Healing happens because of his power that flows into the sick person making them well. Keep in mind that these are discussed purely from an equipping point of view. These are not to be compartmentalized, compartmentalized or separated in such a way that if we are using one method, we should not combine it with other methods. In reality, during ministry, we would typically use a combination of these ways to minister healing. Also keep in mind that although we are specifically discussing physical healing here, in reality, there will be situations where we will minister physical healing, deliverance, and inner healing, 
all flowing together. Here again, there is no particular order in which each should be administered. Sometimes we may begin with deliverance, then minister physical healing, and then inner healing, or any other thing. Other times, God may lead us differently. Also keep in mind that while we may be ministering physical healing, at the same time, God may be working deliverance and inner healing in an individual's life. We may not always be aware of all that is happening in a person when they are experiencing God's touch. I present here in brief several ways to minister and receive healing as seen in scripture. Now, let's through personal faith in God. God has declared that His word is medicine to our entire body. Proverbs 4, 20-22 So anyone can receive healing by meditating in God's word and using the faith that is better out of his word in Romans 10, 17 when faith is mixed with the word that we receive God's power is released to work a miracle of healing. The law of faith is simply stated as according to your faith be done for you. Matthew 9, 29 We always receive when we release the faith that is in our heart. That is the law that God has set in place. You can have faith in God for your own healing. Examples, a woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9.22. The two blind men in Matthew 9.22-30. One of the ten lepers, Luke 17.11-19. The blind man outside the blind man outside Jericho in Luke 18.35-42. Faith in God can be expressed in a variety of ways. Believing and speaking, Matthew 17:20, Mark 11:23, Romans 10:9:10. 10, 10. We believe with our hearts and confess with our mouth. This is one way faith is released. Number two is believing and acting on your faith, exercising faith for others. We can have faith in God for someone else to be healed. Examples: the Roman centurion for his servant, Matthew 8:10 10 to 13. The Canaanite woman for her daughter, Matthew 15:28. Peter and John for the lame man at the temple gate, Acts 3:16. There can be mutual faith in God where two or more people be, be, believe together. Example, the four friends and their paralyzed friend, Matthew 9:2. A group of elders praying the prayer of faith, James 5:14-15. We can also have corporate faith in God for someone else. Where a large number of people believe together for a miracle. Example, the disciples gathered around Paul after he was stoned and left for dead. Acts 14, 19, 20. To the prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, 18, 20. Actually, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There are times when we are ministering in a group. We may pray and or exercise authority to bind what the devil is doing and release the individual from what the enemy has put upon them. We do this being in agreement while releasing our faith and sizing our God-given authority. There's power in agreement and this comes into perfect effect through the prayer of faith. In James 5, 14 to 15, 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith, we say, save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Matthew 21, 20. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
28.8 And it happened that the father of Populus lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. The passage of scripture in James calls for the elders, spiritual leaders in the church to pray for the prayer of faith over the sick person. This is done in the name of the Lord Jesus and with the anointing oil. All believers can pray the prayer of faith for someone to be healed, so we could not restrict the prayer of faith only to elders. The healing takes place because we pray the prayer of faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through a word of command. That's another way we can do that. In Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized, demon-possessed, and he cast out his spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. Luke 4, 38, 39, and read, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simeon's house. But Simeon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made requests of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and he left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Matthew 17, 20. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a monster say, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Like what we see Jesus do, we speak a word of command to the sickness or evil spirit, commanding it to leave. Jesus rebuked the fever and he left. Similarly, we rebuke the sickness or disease and command it to leave in the mighty name of Jesus. We do this with faith in our heart. Jesus said, What if we have faith and speak to the mountain, command it to move? So Jesus said that if we have faith and speak to the mountain, commanding it to move, it will move and nothing will be impossible. We can speak a word of command, rebuking sickness and disease when the person is in our presence even when the person is aware at a different location geographically, there really is no distance in the realm of the spirit. Now, second option is through the laying on of hands with anointing oil with the word of command. Matthew 3, then Jesus put out, out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed, be cleansed. Immediately left, his leprosy was cleansed. Matthew 8, 15, so he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and sat in Matthew 9.29. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. Mark 6.12-13 to says, So they went out and preached that, that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. And Mark chapter... Mark chapter 7 verse 30 to 35 Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to put his hand on him and he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him that is be opened Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loose. He spoke plainly. Luke chapter 4, 10, 40, sorry, Luke 4, 40. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke 13, 13. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Mark 16, 17 to 18. 
and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take off serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Ministering healing to the sick through the laying on of hands is a common way to minister. We lay hands on the sick person and command the sickness to live in the mighty name of Jesus. We expect the power of the Holy Spirit to be administered through the laying on of hands. Ministering healing through the laying on of hands can be done in several ways. One, laying on of hands along with the prayer of faith in the name of Jesus. Two, laying on of hands and issuing a command, a word of command in the name of Jesus. Three, laying on of hands along with the prayer of faith and anointing with oil. For laying on of hands and anointing of oil in the name of the Lord, no verbal prayer may be necessarily be made. When people are ministered through the laying on of hands, they may or may not be slain in the spirit. It is not necessary for people to fall under the power when hands are laid on them. If this happens, that is fine. If it does not, we are not too concerned. Normally, we will lay hands on the body area where healing needs to be administered. This is typical, although not a requirement. Sometimes when a man is ministering to a woman, we may ask the lady to lay her hand on the part of her body that is affected, while the man lays his hand on the lady's head. When the sick touch you, now sometimes the sick uh, touch you, yes. Now, when the sick touch you, in Matthew 9.20, we saw that and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. In Matthew 14, 36, and, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made completely, uh, perfectly well. There are times when people may reach out and touch us in faith. Their touch is their act of faith and their contact with the power of God. God honors their faith in doing this and they receive their healing. Now, other way, guidelines for healing is through the announcement of faith. Matthew 8, 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Matthew 15, 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be done to you as this hour. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. John 4.50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son's lives. So son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. John 5.8.9 reads, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. There were times when the Lord may lead us to simply announce to the person that the healing has been done. There may not necessarily be a prayer or word of command or there could be any combination of this. We announce in faith and authority that the word work is done. God does, does the work. The person sees that the healing is done. And another way to minister is through acting in faith. Matthew 9, 6-7 but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. When he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. In Matthew 12, 13, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. John 9, 7, He said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Sion, which translated sin. So he went and washed and came back to him. Acts 3, 6-8, then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, 
what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked in and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. In Acts 14, 8 to 10, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intimately and seeing what he had felt to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. There are times when the Holy Spirit may lead us to tell the sick person to act on their faith. This would usually be instructing them to start doing something they are unable to do because of their sickness. Sometimes we may help them initially as they make the effort to do so. So, as people start acting on their faith, God's power makes them whole. They step right in to their healing. When people act in faith, Matthew 9, 21, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good share, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. And Mark chapter 2, 3 to 5. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Similarly, you may do things in faith without being told to do so. Just like the woman with the issue of blood who made her way through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. It was her act of faith. God honored that. The four men who brought their paralytic friend to Jesus were acting on their faith. They went to the extent of going up to the roof and letting their friend down from the roof. This was their faith. Their friend was healed. The act of faith is something between them and God. God sees their heart and responds through the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. One is giving the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of Spirit, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit works all these things, distribution to each one individual as he wills. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the word and was confirmed to us by those who heard them? God also bearing witness, spoke with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God works healing through the gift of the Spirit. Usually, this will be the operation of the gifts of healing and words of knowledge, and sometimes accompanied with the working of miracles and the gifts of faith. The other gifts of the Spirit may also be in operation at the same time. There could be a word of wisdom, the setting of spirit, or prophecy being released as well at the time of ministering healing and deliverance. One must desire to have this in operation when ministering to people. We must step out in faith for these gifts to be released. These are a part. Gradually corresponds to our desire and willingness to step out in faith by causing a release of any combination 
these gifts of the Spirit. There are times when these gifts are released when no one is really in great faith or expecting something to happen. Neither the one ministering or the person being ministered to is in great faith. Yet healing, deliverance, miracles still happen because of the operation of the gifts. For example, an unbeliever who happens to be at a meeting purely as a spectator with no knowledge or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ may receive an amazing miracle of healing through uh, healing during the service with no one actually praying or ministering to this person. This would be a sovereign work of God, getting that person's attention and drawing them to faith in Christ through the healing anointing. Luke 5, 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there was Pharisees. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town, village, Galilee, uh, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Luke 6, 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them. Luke 8, 46 to 47. But Jesus said, Somebody touch me for I perceive power going out from me. And now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. The anointing is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing can empower an individual or be present of a congregation gathering of believers to cause the power of God to be manifested. The Lord Jesus ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38. This same power is available for all believers. Acts 1, 8. Our hands can flow out of us just as it flowed out of Jesus. The healing anointing is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that causes healing to take place. When Jesus ministered, the power of the Lord was present to heal people. The healing power, healing virtue, or healing anointing flowed out of him and healed many people who touched him. When we minister healing, we must desire and expect the same healing power of the Holy Spirit to flow through us and heal the sick. There are times we can recognize, feel tangibly the flow of this healing power. At other times we do not feel anything, and yet we minister by faith knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit is being released through us, through special anointings, Acts 5, 12, 16. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in the Solomon's but yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. The believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude to gather from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirit, and they were all healed. There are times when a special anointing for healing comes upon us as individuals over the entire gathering. When this happens, many unusual and numerous miracles spontaneous begin to happen. What is sensitive and recognized is and flow with what the Holy Spirit desires to accomplish at that time. So that people can be touched, we must not quench the power of the work of the Spirit at such times because God is intentionally releasing His special anointing for a reason. An atmosphere for healing, where the healing anointing fills the spiritual atmosphere over a garden, can be created through prayer worship, high level of faith and expectancy. While creating an atmosphere for healing is helpful and desirable, this may not always be possible since like Jesus, we may have to minister in hostile environment. God can move powerfully regardless of the environment and hence we must always remain open and sensitive spirit of God through repentance or initiation of sin. In John 5, 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. 
sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. John 9, 1 to 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God should be revealed in him. What all sickness indicated of personal sin in the individual sin in the case of the man born blind in John, John 9. However, it is possible that there could be seen in the individual's life that has opened the door to the physical sickness. It is possible that the crippled man in John 5 came into that crippled condition due to some specific sin. When the Lord healed him and then admonished him, sin no more, less, the worse than thing can come on you. He understood what that meant. It was not that he would never commit a sin, but he's also referring to that sin or sins which brought him into that crippled condition in the first place. Consider what could have happened if the crippled man who has been healed in John 5 went and sinned, and Jesus said he was sin, may have afflicted him. He would need to repent and renounce that sin to be healed and made whole again. When ministering healing, the Lord may direct us to first deal with sin in the life of the individual being ministered to. We then address this um, lovingly with the individual and lead them through repentance, renouncing those things associated with that sin. There could be unforgiveness, hatred, anger, and other wrong heart attitudes that the individual could be harboring, which needs to be renounced. Typically, we lead that person to renounce lifestyle patterns, sinful habits, dedication to unclean spirits, cancelling ties with demonic powers, and closing doors and entry points through deliverance. Matthew 9, 32-33 reads, As he went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled, saying, He was never seen like this in Israel. In Matthew 12, 22, then one was brought to him who was a demon possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. In Luke 13, 11, 13, I read, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. When Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity, and laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made whole, straight, and glorified God. Not in the above cases we see blindness, deafness, dumbness, and hunchback being caused due to the presence of demons. This does not imply that every blindness, deafness, dumbness, or back problem is due to a spirit of infirmity. Some blindness may be due to accidents or other reasons. We try to listen, listen to the Spirit of God and follow His leading. When we are not sure, then we proceed to minister healing and also address any spirit of infirmity that could be present. Many incurable diseases and other physical conditions whose cause is unidentifiable are usually in an indicative of a spirit of infirmity that needs to be cast out. The three Gospels also record the case of a young boy who seemed to have epilepsy and seizures. Matthew 17, 14 to 18, Matthew 9, 17, 27, Luke 9, 37, 43. It was really a case of demonic possession that caused deafness, darkness, lunacy, and suicidal tendencies. So when Jesus cast out the spirit, the boy was healed. We know immediately that epilepsy is caused due to a chemical imbalance, which requires the working of miracle. But in some cases, there could also be an underlying spirit of infirmity that also needs to be dealt with through the exercise of faith when celebrating the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians 11:26. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till it comes. <clears throat> the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is our emancipation proclamation. It's a place where forgiveness for sins, healing and wholeness for body and mind. Everything needed to reverse the fall was provided for. The Lord Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table for us to do so often in remembrance of Him. Each time we partake of the Lord's Table, we proclaim the Lord's death. We partake in the Lord's Table, descending the Lord's body. Recognize what Christ completed for us in His body on the cross. The Lord's Table is a proclamation or a declaration of our faith in the completed work of Christ on the cross and the fact that He is risen and will come again. It's a time where we couple our faith with desire and expectancy, expectation to receive the full blessing of the cross to be made real and effective in our lives. We expect the Holy Spirit to enforce in every part of our lives the full blessing of the cross of Christ. We invite the Spirit of God to make the power of the cross effective in our lives. Christ's work on the cross was accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 The same Spirit is here to make effective in our lives the power and the blessing of the cross. Each time we partake of the Lord's table, we must do so with this expectation. God will meet our faith with the works of power. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 The Christians were missing out on this person because they did not partake of the Lord's table in a worldly manner. They were treating it as a time for feasting and drunkenness instead of experiencing the blessing of God. They ended up bringing judgment on themselves and ending up with weakness, sickness, and premature death. For he who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30 Weakness, sickness, and death could have been avoided, but participating in the Lord's table the way it ought to be done, through the use of prayer clothes. <coughs> Acts 19, 11-12 Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and disease left them, and the evil spirit went out of them. We see God working miracles through Paul, where handkerchiefs and aprons that were taken from Paul to the sick, and the demonized brought healing and deliverance. God still walked through this method. So in cases where the Lord leads us, we can pray over pieces of clothes and have them taken to those who are sick. And in our own case, we pray over the device or the point and the message we're sending and have people touch it to receive their healing. And when these are laid on the sick in faith, healing and deliverance is ministered to them. God can use other material things as well, like oil, water, uh, text, bone, paper, whatever. Just a word of caution here when using clothes item objects. Sometimes if people are not instructed correctly, they can end up making the item that was used to bring them healing or deliverance an object of worship as a charm or some other supernatural item that gets their attention. It is important that we make it clear that it is the Lord Jesus who brings healing and the item itself is usually simple as a point of contact. The Lord can bring healing even without the use of that object through other unusual means, methods. And we have attempted to catalog some of the ways. While we have attempted to catalog some of the ways in which healing is administered, please keep in mind that this is not a complete list. The Lord can use other unusual and common ways and we must remain open to Him. Consider the fact that the Lord Jesus also ministered in some unusual ways, some instances, once when 
ministering to a deaf and dumb person, the Lord Jesus stuck, stuck his fingers in that person's ear and spat and touched that man's tongue with his own speed. And that man both heard and spoke. Mark 7, 32-35. For another blind man, Jesus spat on his eyes and put his hands on him. And the blind man saw. Mark 8, 22-26. For another blind man, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with a silver saliva. And the clay on the blind man's eyes and told him to go. Watch in the pool of Ceylon. And this blind man was healed. In the book of Acts, we read of God using Peter's shadow to bring healing. So, we must remain open to the Lord's direction and minister in common ways. If He leads us to, however, do not make a routine out of something that the Lord has told you to, to use in a special situation. Continue to follow His leading. Our goal here is not to promote a new method of final identity as a common way of ministry healing. Our objective is to get people healed and glorify the Lord in all things. Ministry healing one on one. When ministering healing personally to an individual, if possible, take time to build the individual's faith through the ministry of the word. Share the basis for our healing and deliverance. We then minister using any of the methods discussed above and as appropriate. We desire to seek the flow of the gifts of healing and working of miracle. Uh, we learn a simple and easy approach to ministry healing one-on-one. Ministry healing in a large gathering. While there is no set format or flow that has to be followed when ministry healing in a large gathering, there are some general ways of ministering in a large city. Our usual approach is to preach the word, to build our faith in the hearts of the people. Whenever possible, we then try to follow the Lord's leading on how to minister. Sometimes the Lord may direct us to call for a healing prayer line or an altar call where people come to the front to receive ministry. Sometimes through words of knowledge, we call out specific cases of healing and a later minister and mass for others to be healed. There is no set formula. The key is to be sensitive to the Lord and follow His leading. Below are some general things that we do when ministering healing and mass after the ministry of the word. We may tell people to lay their hand on their part of the body that needs healing if possible. It's a simple step of sizing their faith and helping them look to the Lord for a specific miracle. When ministering mass healing, typically, we shall begin by casting out unclean spirits and spirits of infirmity. These are devils that keep people in their sickness and prevent healing from coming. So, we go through a time of mass deliverance. We try to be sensitive to the Lord as He reveals through the discernment of spirits, specific kinds of spirit that need to be rebuked. Okay, then we issue words of command for people to be healed. During this time, we remain sensitive to the Lord for words of knowledge and call out specific conditions that are being healed or describe specific situations that may be may have caused the ailment or problem. These specific words of knowledge or description of situations builds faith in the hearts of the people and launches them into receiving their healing miracle. We invite the power of the Holy Spirit to move on them with His healing power, healing anointing, and for gifts of healing and miracles to be released. Once again, the Holy Spirit may reveal specific conditions being revealed, and we call this out. We then encourage people to check their healings and to act their faith. Very often, as people begin to check their bodies and act their faith, healing miracles take place. They discover that they are completely healed or have improved from what they used to be. For those who see some improvement, encourage them to be thankful and expect complete recovery. Testimonies build uh, health, health, faith. Testimonies build faith. So, if be possible, we encourage people to come and share testimonies of healings that have taken place. Just then, I will verify it. 
in situations where it is not possible to take individual testimonies. We encourage people to indicate them being made well by raising their hands or in some other way. It is true that there may be some conditions that can be very only through medical tests and examination. In such cases, going to go to your doctor first, get things verified and test for at a later time. When ministering a large gathering, it is normally not possible to deal with personal individual issues of unconfessed sin, open doors and so on. It is the Holy Spirit to deal with the individual as he desires. If the Holy Spirit reveals certain sins or past activity that needs to be repented and renounced, call this out and lead people into prayer on such matters. However, do this without humiliating or exposing any personal individual or goal. Our goal is to build up and not to destroy them. And healing teams. Uh, in Luke 10, 1-9, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go and heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God must come near you. When the Lord Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them in teams of two with a commission to preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick and cast out devils, extending his concept Extending this concept to our day, we know that ministering healing and deliverance team is powerful. We can have healing teams for ministry within the local churches serve during service or healing teams that go out into malls, streets, schools, colleges and other areas of evangelism. Healing teams can also serve in hospitals or home visitation to minister to those who are sick. Healing teams may be formally organized by the local church or maybe spontaneous getting together of a few like-minded, passionate people who make themselves available to the Lord. Here are some key elements to operate successfully as a healing team. Essentially, healing teams are made of two or more people who have been trained on how to minister healing and deliverance. They flow in unity and agreement each time they minister. No one seeks prominence or importance when ministering. They are supportive and encouraging of each other. They understand the element of faith and risks that each team member is taking when stepping out to minister and hence silently support each other in faith. No one takes personal credit for any healing, miracle or work that God does. All glory is given to the Lord. Team members discuss their stories on learning, successes and mistakes with each other and with other healing teams so everyone can benefit and grow in learning how to minister healing and deliverance. Team members meet together regularly for prayer, worship and fellowship with which builds a sense of togetherness, emotional understanding. This helps them team members to understand each other and to flow together when they go out to minister. Getting people to exercise their faith. Here if you Simple guidelines will encourage people to step out and size their feet. Do it by the Spirit. Ensure that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak this to them. Otherwise, bring positive encouragement so that they do what they are comfortable doing while sizing their feet. Do not be presumptuous. For example, if a person using visual aid, glasses, or contact lights say they are acting their faith and presumptuously gets rid of their visual aids, there could be serious consequences. On the other hand, when their eyes are healed, wearing glasses will be very uncomfortable for them. That's the right time to take off their visuals. Do not let the excitement of the moment cause you to act foolishly. Exercise wisdom. Do not take the doctor's place. Do not give medical advice. Do not tell people to stop their medications or medical treatment. Let them do this based on consultation with their doctor. Teaching people how to maintain their healing. If a person receives a healing touch in a certain area, it does not mean that they will need 
they will never have any other sickness or that the sickness will never occur reoccur okay yeah people need to be taught taught how to maintain healing both in practical ways and through faith in God people need to learn how to meditate in the word build their faith in God to keep their healing and walk in health people need to learn to speak the word fight the good fight of faith and believe God to receive maintain their own healing so if people provide resources books sermons teachings uh, and direction for people to do this for that there are some basic things all of us can do such as proper diet rest and exercise that are important to continue in health personal preparation to minister healing while God is healing and it is his power that heals and delivers people there are times there are things we can do to be good co-workers with God in ministering his healing power to people here are a few things listed as simple reminders growing in the word let the word on healing anointing miracles deliverance authority be established weekly in us through continual meditation our faith in God must be strong and one of the ways faith is developed is through the word we must not be intimidated by the difficulty of sickness or demonic oppression that we encounter growing in anointing we must develop deep communion and sensitivity to the holy spirit praying in tongues is an integral part of developing this we also grow in the anointing by associating watching learning and receiving through other ministers of god desire for more of his presence and power desire for more of operation the gifts of the spirit growing in intimacy through obedience prayer worship and fasting growing in the fellowship with the lord if this enough is enough to captivity of Satan and welcome to freedom in Christ Jesus we're looking at guidelines for ministering healing and deliverance restoration uh, to others so we're talking about growing in intimacy through obedience prayer worship and fasting how we can prepare before we go uh, to minister to others so growing in our relationship with the Lord through obedience okay um spending time alone with him in prayer worship and fasting to maintaining purity of heart we must maintain a pure heart we must guard our hearts from wrong motivations of competition jealousy pride and self we must guard our hearts from wrong affections of fame wealth and anything else that is not pleasing to god growing in faith through stepping out the only way to walk on water is by stepping out of the boat since he has spoken and given us the word come it is our turn to step out this is a step of faith once we come the fear of failure even from past experiences often they thought what if nothing happens will cross our minds however we can replace it with what if something does happen when doubts seem to flood our mind we encourage ourselves saying i am expecting something to happen always giving god all the glory god looks at our heart do we truly praise him and give him all the glory or do we keep some of the glory for ourselves we must at all times have a heart that offers to him all the praise glory and honor and worship for everything that happens some pitfalls to avoid i repeat some pitfalls to avoid do not make false promises all of us when ministers who minister want to reach that place where everyone will minister to get healed in our pursuit of this goal in our zeal to reach that goal we tend to make statements that are 
rather presumptuous. For example, if we stand up before a gathering of people and say, everybody's going to get healed tonight, this may be a good statement to make. Okay? Statement to make, but the real test is at the end of the meeting. When we check if everybody did get healed, if they did not, somebody was lying. A more appropriate statement to make is everyone can be healed tonight. This is a genuine and valid statement based on God's word. While we are pressing into the perfect standard, let us be careful of what we say and how we do things along the way. Only say what God has said. Falling or getting healed, what is more important? Our focus is to get people healed rather than have them fall to the ground. Unfortunately, in some of our Christian circles, we see ministers with a tendency to push people or come down with a heavy hand so as to force them to the ground. While this looks good for those watching, as though people were being slain in the spirit or falling under the power, this really is not a helpful practice. Let us focus on ministering healing to people, not putting on a good show. People go down because they are overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's fine. But the real test is when they come up off the ground, are they healed and delivered? In closing, let us pattern ourselves after the ministry of Jesus. We will reach out to serve people by ministering and healing and deliverance. Okay, now the final part we are looking at today is synthesis of schizophrenia as revealed by the Holy Spirit to Ida May uh, Hammond and how to deal with the spirit. Now, schizophrenia is a very common problem. Some authorities in the field of mental illness estimate that may be, there may be as many as 50 million persons in the United States alone who are afflicted to some degree with schizophrenia. Schizophrenics are estimated to make up about 50% of state psychiatric hospital admissions with 300,000 new cases every year. Some cases are acute while others are quite mild, requiring no professional treatment. Schizophrenia has maintained a very baffling problem. Schizophrenia has remained a very baffling problem to mental health professionals. The cause and cure has remained shrouded in uncertainty. The disturbance, distortions and disintegration of personal personality known as schizophrenia or dementia is frequently encountered by the deliverance minister. Almost every person who comes to us for deliverance is found to have varying degrees of the network of demon spirit which cause schizophrenia. The Lord has graciously given uh, Edomay uh, a special revelation and program which enables her to restore me to wholeness of personality. Since the revelation came to her, uh, we get get it over to her to, to tell us how it can. Now, uh, this is Ida May Hammond speaking now. We're working very closely in deliverance with a person who did not show much improvement after repeated ministries. This person was very earnest about wanting deliverance. She loved the Lord very much. She believed with all her heart that deliverance was the answer to her problem. And she cried out to the Lord in desperation. She was completely caught cooperated with the ministry. Nevertheless, the overall results were disappointing. Time after time, we felt that the victory was gained. For a few days, her personality will show signs of stability, then suddenly everything will go into upheaval. We'll be right back where we started. And one night, after an especially violent upheaval, 
I was awakened from sleep. The Lord was speaking within my spirit. The Lord said, I want to give you a revelation of what is Sarah's problem. The problem is schizophrenia. Now, I was not knowledgeable on this subject. In college, I had studied some psychology enough to be familiar with such general terms as manic, uh, depressive, schizophrenia, paranoia, psychosis, and neurosis. I reached back in my memory to recall that schizophrenia is sometimes referred to as split personality. The Lord gave me this definition. Schizophrenia is a disturbance, a distortion, or disintegration of the development of the personality. You will no longer call her Sarah, but Sarah 1 and Sarah 2, for she has more than one personality in her. I was still in bed, still had sleep in my eyes, as the Lord continued giving the revelation. He instructed me to put my hands together, palms facing, and with fingers laced together tightly. He said this represents what the schizophrenic nature was like. Each hand represented one of the dual personalities within the schizophrenic, neither of which was the real self. They were tightly interlocked. The Lord said, Your hands represent the nest of the demon spirit that make up schizophrenia. I want you to know that it is demonic. It is a nest of demon spirits, and they come into this person's life when she was very, very young. I'll show you how it operates. And the Lord instructed me to take my hands apart very slowly. As my fingers were slowly disengaged, the Lord showed me that these demonic spirits in the schizophrenic must be separated, cast out, and given up. The process requires time. It is a shock to the person to discover that so much of his personality is not the real self. He may be afraid to discover what his true personality is. He needs time to adjust and to fall out of the agreement with the false demon personality point by point. He must come to love, love the schizophrenic personality and fall out of agreement with it. The Lord recalled to my memory Amos 3.3, how can two work together except they agreed? They be agreed. One by one my fingers were disengaged, illustrating the pulling apart of the demonic personalities. Later, each finger has, was given a demonic designation. The last two fingers to come apart were the middle fingers on each hand. The Lord showed that these fingers represent the core of the schizophrenic rejection and rebellion. When these are finally separated, the person can consider himself healed, delivered, and knowing who the real self is. The controlled demon is called schizophrenia or double-mindedness. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1.8 This is the scriptural destination of schizophrenia. Amplified position says, For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. The phrase translated two minds comes from a compound Greek word literally meaning two souls. The next stage of the revelation came a few weeks later. The Lord instructed me to draw the outline of my hands on paper. Then he named the fingers as various demon spirits and showed me how each demon sets itself up in the schizophrenic. The controlled demon of the schizophrenia invites other demons in in order to cause the distortion of personality. Schizophrenia always begins with rejection. It, it commonly begins in childhood 
or infancy, and sometimes while the child is yet in his mother's womb. There are many causes for rejection. Perhaps the child was not wanted or may have been the wrong sex desired by one or both parents. The condition in the home may have been unsettled. There are many doors that lead to rejection. Okay? Alright, schizophrenia can be demonically inherited. Notice I said demonically. Either man saying this. By that I mean it is not in the blood system, not in the genes, it is in the demons. In other words, demons seek to perpetuate their like kind. It is easier for them to do this within a family. For example, suppose the schizophrenia nature is in the, in the mother. The demons would pick out one or more of her children to feed them down through. The schizophrenic mother feels rejection. She is the one who is primarily responsible for feeding love into the family. She is the one who touches, handles, and fondles the fact. The rejection within herself creates problems in her relationship with the child. So the child is so open for rejection by the mother's instability. I repeat, schizophrenia always begins with rejection. Now, one can have a rejection spirit and not be a schizophrenic. In other words, it is all in the matter of forming a personality. You can have a rejection spirit and still manage to form your own personality and be secure in yourself. To the contrary, schizophrenia is always floundering. Who am I? The identity of the true self is confused or lost. Rejection is shown on the left hand in the illustration, which we will also see in the paper or in, on the website, is a control demon in, in one of the personalities set up within the schizophrenic. Rejection depicts a withdrawn type personality. It is a feeling within, with, within. It is agony within. It is salvation of love. It is insecurity. I, it is inferiority. It is fantasy. It is unreality. It is all on the inside. I don't share in this. It is one personality the demon set up. The second personality set up by the demon is rebellion. The middle finger on the right hand in the illustration. When a child does not have satisfactory love relationship in life, he grows up being unstable to feel and share in love relationship. The rebellion sets in. He begins to fight for love or he lashes out at those who have starving of love. Rebellion asserts itself in stubbornness, self-will and selfishness. Here is another personality. This one is not inward or withdrawn. It is aggressive and lashing out in anger, bitterness, and resentment, hatred, and retaliation. The schizophrenic is literally under these two opposite powers. He can switch from one type of personality to the other in a moment's time. The Lord showed me that I was to refer to the schizophrenic premise as Sarah 1 and Sarah 2. The Sarah 1 being the real person, and the Sarah 2, the schizophrenic personality, which has two sides to it. Therefore, there are really three personalities involved. The real personality, the rejection personality, and the rebellion personality. The 30 minutes time, one may see all three personalities manifested. Naturally, this brings much confusion to the person himself as well as to others around him. The real person is neither of the hands. The real self is known in the illustration below the arm at the bottom. The demons have not permitted the real self to develop. The schizophrenic does not know his real self. When the schizophrenic begins to be delivered, the real self must have Jesus. Jesus must start growing in the person, developing that personality and making it what he wants it to be. This is why the schizophrenic deliverance requires time, sometimes several months or even a year or longer. 
deliverance must work in balance with the development of the real self. It can be brushed, it cannot be rushed, for there is nothing for the person to fall back upon. If every demon in this schizophrenic person were suddenly cast out, he will feel totally lost. Identity with the real self requires time. As the schizophrenic requires nature is knocked out, the true personality must come forth to replace it. Let me illustrate what can happen when a schizophrenic is in the process of deliverance. He may be learning submission to authority. He is faced with a test. There is a situation where he is required to be submissive. He is not in the habit of being submissive. What will he do? Will he fall back into rejection, go into his room, cover his face, refuse to talk to anyone, or will he fall back into rebellion, expressing anger, becoming defiant, showing stubbornness, or will he permit the nature of Jesus to comfort, cooperating, yielding to authority, becoming submissive? The decision is his. He must be willing to fall out of agreement with the demons and to break off habit patterns. The real self must have become through enough in Christ to carry through on the right decision. On the illustration, you will see a swell at the top between the two hands. This represents a hurricane. The schizophrenic person can only crease thumbs around himself. He is caught in these thumbs. Another must relate to what is happening. Notice that some of the arrows also carry swells or hurricanes. If the person trying to relate is also unstable, he brings his thumb into the schizophrenic thumb. You then have a stone within a stone. Other arrows are straight. This depicts persons who are stable and can relate to the hurricane in a stable way. Such a person can engage the storm without being damaged or scared. He is not captured by the turmoil. The deliverance person must be able to come in as a straight arrow. These terms, times of storm, cause the root of bitterness to form, see right hand, and to be given deeper and deeper. Now, let us see what the other finger on the left hand represents. The ring finger is designated loss. The Lord showed me that this demon weds a person to the world for love. Loss is rooted in rejection. If one has not received satisfactory love through the normal channels of life, the carnal nature will begin to search for its kind of love, sensual love. Thus the door is open for the demon of loss to enter. A companion spirit in this group is fantasy loss, which may cause the person to imagine he is some great lover of the motion picture world or to fantasy sexual experiences as a prelude to overt acts. The halotry spirit in women may first manifest itself in dress and provocativeness. Social perversions represent extreme attempts to overcome rejection. Social experience, real or imaginary, can never satisfy the need for genuine love. They are the devil's substitute for real love and leave a person ridden with frustration and guilt. The little finger on the left hand represents insecurity and inferiority. This is yet another manifestation of rejection. A person who has a deep sense of rejection feels insecure and inferior. The index finger on the left hand is self-accusation. This demon causes a person to turn against himself and tears down his same sense of personal worth. In most cases, we have found self-accusation coupled with a compulsion to confess. For example, if the person has fallen into immorality, he cannot rest until he has confessed his wrongdoing. He usually confesses to those who should show him the most love. He is driven to do this in effort to shock others into giving him false attention and ever find a substitute for love. Now let us move to the right hand in illustration. The middle finger illustration is a little rebellion. As we have seen, rebellion identifies one of the false personalities 
set up by the demons. This group of demons may be considered compensating spirits for rejection. Rebellion is the opposite of rejection. One is expressive and turbulent, the other is withdrawn and secure. The finger, uh, ring finger on the right hand represents self-will. This demon weighs a person into selfish desires. This opens the way for stubbornness, selfishness and unteachableness. Again, we see the compensation for rejection. Since the person has been rejected or fear rejection, he is driven to pamper self, to push self. He is therefore trying to overcome feelings of rejection. The index finger is called accusation. It too is a compensating element. It draws the attention away from the rejection. It seeks to eliminate a concentration on self by calling attention to others. The left index finger points at self, I am to blame while the right index finger points to others you are to blame. The accusation demon opens the door for companion spirits of judgmentalism. The little finger on the right hand is self-deception. Its companions are delusion, self-seduction and pride. These three spirits of self inflate pride. Pride is another compensation for rejection. One who feels rejected wants to feel important. The spirit of delusion comes along and says you are really somebody. You are a spiritual giant or some other kind of giant. The ego that has been wounded appears to be given a boost, but it is all the money. It only leads to greater frustration and disappointment. In one case of ministry, the spirit of self-deception had convinced a 13-year-old girl that she was 19. She took on another game to go with her. I took on another name to go with her other than the person. She attempted to think, talk, and act like an older girl. She was pushed beyond her abilities and her normal maturity. It added greatly to her oppression. Through the revelation, the Lord showed how the thumbs represent the paranoid phase of the schizophrenia. Part of it is represented in the long thumb because it is rooted in rejection. On the rejection side are spirits of jealousy and envy. Those who are defined in reciprocal love relationship become jealous and envious of those who do experience that fine love. On the rebellion side are spirits of distrust, suspicion, fears, and persecution. There is another demon in this latter group and it is called confrontation with honesty at all costs. Suspicion and distrust build up in the person until he is compelled to confront the other person. After the confrontation, the pressure dies down within him for a while, but he leaves the attacked person to handle his wounds. The person acting under the influence of paranoid demon is quite insensitive as to how many wounds he causes, yet he is super sensitive to every offense toward himself. The revelation portrayed in the fingers and thumbs has proved to be infallible as judged by numerous ministries with schizophrenics. There is no flaw in it. The demons listed down the left hand are representative of other spirits that are commonly found within the rejection side of the schizophrenic pattern. This will, this will have some variations from person to person. The listening is suggestive rather than exhaustive. It is apparent in most instances that the demons listed on the left hand are in some way associated with the triad of rejection uh, type spirits, rejection, fear of rejection, self-rejection. The listing of demons on the right and includes com control and com possessiveness. They are directly related to rebellion. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. First Samuel 15:21. This verse can be interpreted in two ways. First, I interpret it to mean that to God, to, uh, to God, rebellion is an abomin as abominable as witchcraft itself. I also interpret it to mean that one who has a rebellious nature has a nature of witch. 
The purpose in witchcraft is to control. It is controlling of another person by knowingly or knowingly exploring the power of evil spirit. Rebellion often leads to control. Now, let us continue down the right hand. There is a root of bitterness in all of life. One does have conflicts. Things do happen and words, words are spoken that requires an attitude of forgiveness. Here lies the problem with the school phoenix. He is unable to forgive. He has an unforgiving spirit. The things that happened 30 years ago are just as alive as they were the minute they happened. The root of bitterness is kept alive and out of it, it comes resentment, hatred, anger, retaliation, uh, violence, and murder. There can be many other demons attached to such a root of bitterness. How does the schizophrenia come out of this tangled mess? The three main areas to cook are rejection, rebellion, and the root of bitterness. Okay? As these areas are conquered, the house, life must be filled by the giving and receiving of love, by submission to every valid authority, and by forgiveness of all persons, regardless of circumstances. When these three areas are conquered, the other related spirit lose their strength. Determination is, is necessary. The person who can persistently say, I will be different, I will not let them rule my life, will eventually see victory. Between the hands at the bottom of the illustration is a little stick figure called the real self. As the deliverance takes place over a period of time, the real self must arise, rise up, detected by arrows, and part the false schizophrenic personalities by falling out of agreement with all of their influence and all that they represent. The real self must take on the nature of Jesus himself. Visual exercises such as Bible study, prayer, fasting, praise, and fellowship with other believers essential to a successful deliverance. This spiritual exercise will also accelerate the deliverance process. The person's life is filled with the positive things of Christ Jesus. It's hard to work for both the schizophrenic patient and the deliverance minister. It is hard work for both the schizophrenic patient and the deliverance minister. I greatly admire schizophrenics who fight through to victory. Admire those victories above all other deliverance. The schizophrenia deliverance is the deepest, most involved, and most determined deliverance that we have encountered. Now, prayer to deliver from schizophrenia. And this was drawn from Mary's deliverance in, I think, an earlier chapter. You demons of schizophrenia, I call, I call your hand. You bring out your two opposite personalities which you are establishing in her or him. One of you is rooted in rejection and self-pity and the other is rooted in rebellion and bitterness. Neither one of these personalities is a real she or he. I release and lose the real he or she to be what Jesus wants her to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. And short prayer for self-deliverance. So, we go. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. You redeemed me by your blood and I belong to you. I want to live for you. I confess all my sins, known and unknown. I'm sorry for them all. I renounce them all. I forgive all others as I want you to forgive me. Forgive me now and cleanse me with your blood. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses me now from all sin and I come to you now as a, my deliverer. You know my special needs, the things that binds, the torment that, have, that defiles, that evil spirit, that unclean spirit. I claim the promise of your word. 
whoever that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I call upon you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver me. Set me free. Satan, I renounce you and all your works. I lose myself from you in the name of Jesus. And I command you to leave me right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it come out from your heart and see the salvation of the Lord. Open your mouth and bring a belge or throw out whatever it is that wants to come out. It is coming out. Come out now in Jesus' name. Now, are you sick or in need of restoration or healing? Also, let's agree with you for those who are sick or unwell in whatever shape or form or needing deliverance or restoration. Kindly touch the dot below or connect with the voice talking to you or the book you're reading in faith. Faith is seeing the precise positive outcome of your current situation. Knowing that Jesus has done his part more than 2,000 years ago to secure your healing and deliverance, restoration as a down payment. Trusting that that down payment is available to you to draw from, like a positive balance in your checking account with a bank. No question asked as we agree with you and pronounce be healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I pray with you now. By the authority you have granted unto me and unto them, I exercise that authority now in faith with their anger against the enemy and hunger to get what you have freely given unto them all. I cause every illness, every disease, be it cancer, COVID-19, be it spirit of infirmities, be it demonic possession or oppression, be it the spirit of poverty, setback, delayed fulfillment of what God has already determined and released. We come against the anomaly, we bind them, we cause them to their root, and we cast them out by the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We call forth a release of healing, deliverance, and restoration to their lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for testimonies that are abiding to your glory and honor and adoration. Thank you for souls that are being added to your kingdom as a result of this message. The miracles that are already seen, that we are already seeing right now, are manifesting for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It is done in Jesus' name. So connect with the voice, touch the book, whatever it is. There is an anointing in the contact. The Lord is available to heal, to deliver, and to restore. So repeat after me. Now touch this spot highlighted as a point of contact. Confess with your mouth, I am healed, I am delivered, I am restored in my spirit, soul, and body, and all around me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Begin to do what you could not do before. Begin to confess until full healing, deliverance, restoration becomes a fruit in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay hungry for all of God. Stay angry and take back or that the enemy has held back in Jesus name Amen now note you need to testify to the healing of for, for God's glory and the shame of the enemy send us an email or whatsapp us if you still need us to agree with you in the issue and connect to the equipping series starting next week may the Lord bless you share wide and get to the website enough contents there to equip you in Jesus name Amen. Ambassador Monday OOBE Otakada Cyber Church Ministries info at otakada.org www.otakada.org plus 234 803 283563 1. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause His countenance to shine upon you. I declare that every single word being said here remains permanent. That you've heard it once to be amplified three, four, five, one thousand times until you get it and walk in the newness of this world. In Jesus' name.